One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Become a paid member and get ad free episodes and early access to episodes. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com who makes this podcast possible. We need to scale the room's capacity to manage all those new branches. Otherwise, it will fail. And the TVA will be destroyed. And we're all going to die. There has to be another way. We can hack into the system. Really? Oh, that is such a relief. I'm wondering. What? I think you meant it as an idea. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen, and I also wish I had a normal human body. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. And I'm also frequently scaring my children by turning into a giant clock monster, and everyone's telling me to stop. (laughs) Today on Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing Loki Season 2, Episode 3. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. We'll be across all platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, etc. as at decodingtv. Before we get to... Uh, this next episode, Patrick, I, I did want to give a uh, quick shout out to an email we received from someone at decodingtv at gmail.com. Elliot wrote into decodingtv at gmail.com uh, to refer to our comments about last week's episode of Loki. Now, uh, I think you and I were fair. I was pretty down on last week's episode of Loki, and you were a little bit more positive than me, but you agreed with many of my criticisms. One of the big developments that happened last week was uh, that. Kate Dickey, a.k.a. General Dox, decides to annihilate a bunch of uh, variant timelines, right? Uh, variant branched timelines. Uh, theoretically exterminating what I would guess are billions of people. Uh, and we criticized how that was not really well set up and therefore it felt like it came out of nowhere and we couldn't really invest Elliot wrote into decodingtvgmail.com saying, you guys were so right about there being no emotional impact during the pruning scene, and it's most upsetting because of how easy something like that is to fix. Uh, Elliot then describes like a couple of examples of things you could use to give people emotional investment. You could have someone at the TVA talking about how they're looking forward to getting back to their timeline, or anyone at the, at the TVA just describing a timeline and what's going on in some of these other timelines. Uh, and so basically it's like, you don't even need budget to do it. Or I guess you need budget to like shoot a dialogue scene, but you know what I'm saying? You don't need like visual effects or anything like that. You can just, you can just have people having a conversation about, Hey, this timeline is important because of this, or this timeline is notable because of this, but they didn't do any of that. And, uh, I think it is part of this tendency. I think the show has, which continues into this episode of, Taking an idea and being like, isn't this a cool idea? Let's do that idea. But then not really thinking through the implications of that or what it would be necessary, uh, what would be necessary to execute that idea in a really good way. Um, So we'll talk more about that in today's uh, recap. But I am curious if you just had any thoughts on that email or any thoughts on that, because it's the last time we're going to discuss that subplot. It's not mentioned in this week's episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that, that not a great shock there. Um, that was definitely <laughs> one of our concerns. Uh, you know, I, I think it certainly speaks to 
some of my concerns about where the MCU is going, where it kind of felt like it was inevitably going, where a lot of these comic stories inevitably go, which is the crisis has to, the, the next crisis has to top the previous crisis. Yeah. And the, you know, the, it's not just, it can't just be earth. Then it's gotta be the galaxy and then it can't be the galaxy. It's gotta be the universe. And it can't just be the universe. It's gotta be the multiverse. And at a certain point, it becomes incredibly difficult to create grounded stakes. Um, mm-hmm. Once you, once the, the actual like scale of, you know, obviously we're involving all sorts of difference for like species and, and things like that. But like, let's just say humanity for lack of a better term, like characters we can be grounded with and, and feel for it's just becomes harder and harder when the scale of that gets so much bigger. And there are ways to bring you down to that. And I think this, this letter and the, the way we criticize this scene we're ways of doing that. Like, I don't expect to feel the same way I did at the beginning of Endgame, where, like, I know Hawkeye. I know his family. Like, I have established, uh, like, feelings for, like, these characters in this scene and when something awful happens to them. But there was an opportunity to give us a sense of those stakes. And we do have characters who, in this season, are grappling with, what was my life like? What was taken from me? And then you have a scene where you could have set up and now it's gone. That life that I was taken from me, that I could have gone back to, that I uh, could have been a part of, is now pruned. It is now permanently removed from the timeline. And that, I think, like especially given what's happening with Sylvie in this season, which is clearly the, like going to be her emotional arc through season two, like as far as we as we know it so far, is about what does it mean to find a home and 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 like a home that maybe you didn't know you have and now i don't think the whole season is going to take that idea which i think would be like the most interesting exploration of of a theme for for the for the season as a whole but i i think that the person writing it is is absolutely correct and and is on the same wavelength as as you and i in which yes like broadly i'm i'm upset uh or concerned that the scale of the crisis has to get so big but even when you even when you get there, there are just missed opportunities. And that I'm worried that's going to be a lot of how we look at Loki season two is is disappointment less through um, the kind of disappointment we talked about with some of these other high profile properties and franchises that you and I have discussed for the last couple of months, and more because of our like raised expectations for what Loki could be yeah. is just looking at season two with a, a, you know feeling like a whiff, like ah, like this was an opportunity to do something very different. And 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 you were just pointed in the completely wrong direction the whole time. Uh, I would argue my standard is not even that high. You're saying this is an <laughs> opportunity to do something very different. I'm saying this is an opportunity to do something, uh, to have an idea and follow through on it. And I think in the case of like episode two and the idea of like all these branches being annihilated, um, it's a situation where maybe that is the the that's the arc of the season is you're trying to stop that from happening and that mm-hmm. way we actually get some kind of build up and tension around that um the episodes have felt very discombobulating i have to say like each of the three episodes we've watched at this point uh we we got some commentary on our uh youtube at youtube.com/decodingtv also saying like the the beginning of episode 2 felt designed to make you f- feel like you had missed an episode right mm-hmm. and it's like uh, I don't think episode three is is like that, but it is 
vastly different in terms of its structure. It has completely different characters. We're meant to kind of connect with a whole different, basically, protagonist in this episode. Um, so I- I'm having a lot of doubts about whether they're going to tie everything together satisfyingly. And-, and so it's less about, can you do something different? Just have an idea and follow through on that idea, as opposed to, we have a new idea each week, and let's see what that might be like. You know? um, so... Feel free to keep those emails coming into decodingtv at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Patrick Klepek, let's start by talking about our overall thoughts on Loki Season 2, Episode 3. And then we're going to do a detailed recap, spoil everything, talk about some specific scenes. So overall, Patrick, what did you think of this episode? Well, one thing that you and I were wondering was, uh, okay, like... Where's Jonathan Majors? Um, like we know the reason that the for an expensive show they didn't go back and do something perhaps understandable like reshoot it is because well it seems like he's pretty critical to the story they're telling here. And the answer in season three is yeah, like he's about to become the main character. Season two, um, I think you mean. Uh, season two, yes. Um, and in episode three, like it makes very clear that jonathan majors isn't going anywhere in the show and is probably someone who is going to be very present in most if not all scenes through the rest of of the series um and so you know it's it's so tough i you're finally forced to like truly then start confronting like i think a lot of the fears that folks like myself that are looking forward to the season and that like we're waiting with, with bated breath about once the accusations and allegations towards jonathan majors came out what am I supposed to do with those feelings? How am I supposed to untangle that from an actor who is capable of giving extremely powerful and interesting performances? And I don't know how powerful this performance is in this episode, but it's certainly interesting. It is definitely a demonstration of majors. Well, he's trying something. I don't choices, know how well choices were made. This is yeah, decisions were made. <laughs> I don't know how well it works yeah. uh, for me. Um, and like that's where I end up like feeling just very messy on this episode. Like it's a big swing. I uh, it makes me like if I try to detach myself, like a little more interested in where the season is going, but I find it very difficult to untangle my 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 like external thoughts on this actor and the actions they've taken in the real world because there's just no way to avoid them uh here. They are front and center and the centerpiece of it and um but like as a episode, I mean, holy shit. Like, it seems like we're on a lot of sets. Like the costuming is great. Like the set design is fantastic. Like there's people everywhere. Like, I mean, it's like, I don't, I found a lot of that, like genuinely thrilling and fun and interesting. We get lots of great beats with Mobius and and Loki just hanging out. Like some of the strongest parts of the show, like the show recognizes, Hey, even in an episode where like, Kang, here comes Kang, you know, or or however, you know, the show is going to handle this particular version of him. Uh, We're still going to give lots of comedic, quiet moments to these characters. And I think that's to the show's benefit. But yeah, definitely one that I come out of with really mixed feelings, even though I find myself at least a little more interested in where the central arc of the show is going from here. Definitely a messy episode. Uh, but let me start by talking about some of the positive aspects, uh, which you brought up already. First of all, this episode looks like it cost, I'm going to estimate, 30 to $40 million. <laughs> I feel like, like you're it, seeing a lot of the budget of the show in, the, in, in this, this episode, specific right. episode. <laughs> and like they bring you know 1800s Chicago to life in a really vibrant, vivid way 
that is like genuinely impressive from a production design standpoint. And, um, you know, every component of production comes together in, in, in a really amazing way. Like, um, the sets, uh, the murals on the walls, the number of extras and background artists, the costuming, like everything is just coalescing in a way to make it feel like, oh, this this episode oozes money. The fact that they redid the Marvel intro with the old timey. <laughs> that you know, was like, great. Awesome. Awesome. Right. You also point out how uh, there's some parts with like Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson hanging out. By far the strongest points of the whole show. I wish like there would just be more of that. You don't need... But then, again, same thing freaking happens as last week, where it's like, uh, oh, I'm enjoying these guys kind of going on a little adventure. They're, by the way, they're dressed impeccably. They look awesome, oh, right? And they're... Yeah. I could not pull off those outfits. But, <laughs> no, no. But I wish no. I could, because they look amazing in them. And so... <laughs> Uh, so I, I love their vibe and their rapport. It's just they they got great chemistry, and that's like rare uh, to to see on on anything. When, and when you have it, you want to use it, you want to see it as often as possible. But then, of course, it's interrupted by all these plot machinations, um, some of which are fairly nonsensical. So, uh, so those are some of the great things about the episode. It's like looks amazing. We get some more Mobius and Loki time. Awesome! 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 The weak elements of the episode are uh, virtually everything else. I think the Jonathan Majors, Victor Timely is like a fairly disastrous portrayal uh, is what I would say. I think it's very mannered and he's clearly going for it. And I honestly thought there was going to be a moment where it was revealed that his whole, the way he speaks is a put on like, because yeah, he is, I kept waiting for that. He's as well. a, he, yeah, the whole exactly. point is he's, that he's a con man. Uh, yeah, like he's a con man. So it's like I'm thinking, like, oh, he, that's not actually the way he speaks. Um, but I think it's difficult for me to. The reason why it doesn't work is not because somebody's speaking at a different cadence. It's because it's difficult for me to see this as anything other than Jonathan Majors, you know, putting on these mannerisms and this cadence, right? Like I, I, I could never lose myself in seeing just an actor like just a character i saw an actor talking in a specific way playing a specific character as opposed to just he's vanished mm -hmm. into the role and um that was distracting for me um but again i just want to clarify it's not because he speaks slowly or has a specific cadence. it's just like right. the performance itself and then the problem i have with this show is most of the, or many of the times you don't know why characters are doing what they're doing. Like, why is so-and-so doing this thing? Specifically, the, the character in question is Ravana Renslayer in this case, right? Like, why is she taking the actions she's taking in this episode? Um, and concealing the reasons can be interesting, dramatically effective, Um but I think the show does it too often to the point where it's it's difficult to even understand. And, and by the way, the motivations of Ravana Renslayer were revealed to us. But can we take them at face value? Like, is she, is she lying? Like, I, I can't even trust that, like, what was revealed is actually true. So well, especially because not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but in your 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 broad criticism of this for the first season, especially is the end of an episode and then a. Uh, uh-huh. Uh -huh. like, we don't you, we don't uh -huh. get the aha, uh -huh, but we get the tease for 
and aha, uh-huh, and aha uh-huh in the future may, <laughs> may reveal reasons for previous actions, but in a way that does not feel satisfying to it, the viewer. It is more satisfying from like I'm in a writer's room and like, oh, that'll be clever. Like exactly, that's, 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 that'll that's, be this onion. That's a, so so maybe at some point we'll get an explanation for why Ravano is doing what she's doing, but it's like it doesn't make for a particularly satisfying experience in the short term. Uh, and it would be fine if the show did that with like one character, but it seems to do that with everyone uh, and or many of the characters. And I think that's that's the real problem is it, it's it continuously prizes surprising people versus telling an engaging story in and of itself. Um, so those problems from the second episode, I think, continue in this episode. Um, and uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it shapes up. There's, there's still enough like cool things to look at that it's like worth checking out the show. Yeah, uh, but so far juggling it, so many arcs. Yeah, I mean, so far it's very, again, very jumbled from a storytelling perspective. So, anyway, those are some overall thoughts on season two, episode three. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. All right, Patrick Klepek, let's get to our uh, thoughts on what actually happened. We're not going to spoil everything that happened in season two, episode three. We open in 1868 Chicago within the sacred timeline uh, as Ravonna Renslayer, the first time we've seen her this season in the flesh, by the way, um, tasked by the TVA's rogue AI Miss Minutes to track down a variant of He Who Remains. Miss Minutes claims she was told by He Who Remains to have Renslayer to place a special book, a TVA manual, in the window of a young Kang variant, ensuring he'll rise to power. Renslayer is promised that she'll be rewarded. Let's pause here for a minute. Uh, there was like um, there was like a scene in Family Guy a long time ago. It was just like you know how Family Guy has lots of like offhanded references, and I just remember there was a moment. It, it, it was like. I don't remember exactly what the reference was, but it was kind of like they cut to people watching the TV show Family Guy at some point, right? Like in the show Family Guy, they cut to people watching Family Guy and somebody was like, so what? Does a family like hear the dog speaking? You know, can, like can they hear can they hear the baby? Like, is that how that works? That's kind of how I feel about Miss Minutes. I'm like, so like, is she, does she occupy like physical space? I guess people can see her, but she doesn't. She can't actually touch anything. You know, like I'm trying to figure out like what the rules are with Miss Minutes, which by the way, in my opinion, 
have been very poorly established. Am I wrong about this, Patrick? Clever? I don't. I, I think poorly established is actually a charitable way of <laughs> of interpreting the word established. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, Miss Minutes, like now that she has become like a formal character with motivations. Um, yes. Very. <laughs> we will get into yeah. her motivations um, uh, later in the episode, but I, I think you know if you're going to forward her as not just a like a like a plot device, but actually like a motivating character for the yeah. actions of, of so many things that are occurring in the show. It is then kind of incumbent on you to establish, like actually establish or like, how does, how does Miss Minutes work? Like, how do I think of her as a, like, hey. cause in the first season, it's mostly like, this is just cute. It's a like yeah. fun performance. Like it's a really neat, like mashup of aesthetic and, and then, okay, sure. Makes sense that here in the TVA, she'd have access to everything like I buy it. Like I don't need it explained to me. I it fits enough of the logic of the world around me. But once we've started going into the timelines and into the quote real world, like I, I I'm with you. Like is she messing with perception? Like is she actually black and white? <laughs> and, and and even that then right. mashes up with and this is like speaks to how complicated and convoluted like the MCU is getting. It's like wait 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 okay so I, my, if I've watched like Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania and I saw like the post credit scene with like all the Kangs, like the whole thing here is that Kang is inevitable, right? Like the reason like it's bad that he who remains was killed and all these branches aren't being pruned and these variants aren't being pruned is because we'll just come back no matter what. But in this case, Miss Minutes is bringing him back. Like would this person become Kang if like this manual wasn't here? So like, that's not inevitable. That's you messing. And so you're just, maybe that'll be explained later on. And it'll, yeah. you know, my guess is that Miss Minutes is like purposely, like futzing with the timeline to her own ends and Kang is nonetheless inevitable. And that'll be something that happens with, you know, Victor timely over the course of the season. But I don't know, like once you start thinking about all of that, which the show is not forwarding, but it's there in the background. Like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. if it starts to, um, I'm plenty fine with accepting goofy things at face value. If it feels right, but increasingly, especially when like, the plotting isn't working as well. The characters aren't working as well. Uh, your brain starts to then process those other things. Like, yeah, but what if that's not working? Like, why are we doing this? And I think that's how stories that exist and like this level of high fantasy and suspension of disbelief start to buckle uh, under themselves. Um, and and that's how rules can help you. But so far, uh, you know, the show does not seem particularly interested in in establishing them. It's also a situation where the show is obsessed with plot mechanics. Uh, and constantly you have people like Kihue Kwan shouting plot things at the, you know, at the other characters of the other. If we don't do this to the temporal loom, then this is going to have, you know, like it's, it feels like an episode of Star Trek where they're like, if we don't, you know, uh, decouple the, the power stuff from the blah, blah, blahs, you know, like they're, they're always like explaining stuff to you. So for them to just not describe this minutes at all, like, I think they just referred to her as like a rogue AI basically, yeah. but it's like, okay, a rogue AI who can take physical form. Right. Um, you turn into a Kaiju. Uh, you could turn scare into a bunch of people. Okay. Um, anyway. I mean, it's, well, and it's, and, you know, to your point, um, you know, it's, I, it just feels like it's constantly sort of like losing its own thread to grasp onto. And I think that becomes very frustrating as the, you know, as the viewer, uh, as it goes on, which I think is, is reflected in our own impressions of like how, how this is, has continued forth. Uh, agreed. 
Back at the TVA, OB is panicked over the continued meltdown. Desperate, Loki and Mobius decide to follow Renslayer's Tempad. So the idea is that the temporal loom, because of, I'm going to say, events that occurred in episode one that I'm not even going to bother to rehash here, uh, is like out of, it can't handle the increase in number of It's like time Ghostbusters. Threads. Like there's yes. too many ghosts in here. There's like... too many ghosts, exactly right. <laughs> and so they need, uh, but they're like, they can hack into the system if they have the temporal aura of the person that designed the system, which we now know is he who remains, right? So Loki and Mobius, they want to get he who remains, get them to the TVA. They can use his temporal aura to stop the temporal loom from melting down. That's, that's kind of the motivating incident. Loki and Mobius end up in Chicago in 1893, which also happens to be hosting the World's Fair. The two eventually stumble upon an advertisement for a man named Victor Timely, who claims to be putting on a demonstration for temporal marvels. At the show, the two notice the presence of Renslayer and on stage, Victor Timely. This version of He Who Remains, a.k.a. Victor Timely, is much younger and has a much different speaking cadence and personality than uh, who we met at the end of the first season. He claims to be developing a way to harness time as a form of energy and that even time itself is capable of being manipulated. Uh, and let's, uh, let's, I'll just keep going here. After demonstrating a prototype of a, a temporal loom, Timely leaves the stage and is cornered by Renslayer, Luke, Loki, and Mobius and a swarm of other parties who want to cash in on Timely's promises. He holds a bidding war for the patents to his work, which turns out to be a massive con. In fact, a lot of what Timely's up to is a con, even if his interest in time is true. Timely's chased into the crowd of the World's Fair when his tricks are discovered, and he stumbles into a Ferris wheel with Loki, where Sylvie appears. She's determined to make good on her promise to kill every variant of He Who Remains, and a war of words and magic powers between Loki and Sylvie results in Timely falling out of the Ferris wheel, only to be discovered by Renslayer, who calls upon Miss Minutes to become a kaiju-sized monster to clear an escape path. Uh, so let's let's pause here and just talk a little bit about what's going on here. Whew, a lot. You, lot. you know that I, when I mentioned in a previous episode that sometimes yeah. when I do the recaps, yeah. it's like wow, I'm just like pressing, I'm just like scooting forward in this <laughs> in this playback, and like there's yeah. not much for me to write up. It's just right. characters talking. Yeah, Move great. on to the next thing. Not not that this whole stretch that you just went through <laughs> was like oh shit. There's like a hundred things that I need to write down. And when it's, when you, and I think it's a, uh, other than, you know, useful for, as a framing device for you and I to talk about the episode, I think when read back to the listener, people listen to this podcast or people watching, you know, in various uh, platforms, I think you get a sense of like what we're talking about, yeah. like the difference yeah. between like character moments and plotting yes. when you are forced to then summarize it because yes, this episode is, you know 50-ish minutes like it's it's long by a lot of marvel uh television show standards and yet when like laid out what all happens there in about 15-ish minutes is like why are you putting in this many characters and this many actions tied up in in this many like this few scenes it's just it's just way too much for the show to even if it was exquisitely written which i don't think it is like it's just like it, anything would buckle under under this much weight. It just cannot support this much meaningfully in the time span that it, that it's given and the structure that it's given. Completely agreed. And excellent job on the recap as usual, Patrick. Um, but let's talk about a few things that happen in, in this sequence. I mean, there's a few things that I actually really appreciate. First of all, uh, again, just love the two characters, uh, Mobius and Loki, hanging out. I love that they see... A representation of Norse mythology. Oh, that was great. And it's like Odin, uh, Thor, and Boulder. And Loki's like, why is Boulder there? Like, 
<laughs> no one knows who that guy is. Um, Balder is an MCU character, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And we haven't, I don't think we've seen him depicted in the MCU. Balder the Brave. So it's very possible it's a reference to something that will happen sooner. But um, that's always been one of the things that is amusing to me that the show doesn't really explore is the difference between what happens uh, with the Norse gods in the world of the MCU and the stories that people on earth tell about the Norse gods. Like right. there's, there's a huge gulf between those things and the show hasn't really explored that. And it's a nice nod to that when that happened in this episode. Uh, I really like the idea, the concept of, of he who remains or Victor timely as a character, because Victor timely in, in many ways is like a tragic figure in the context of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine like, imagine having the idea for the iPhone, but it's, you know, 500 AD. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you can't even begin to, there's no electricity. There's no app developer. Like, it's like, that's a tragic thing. If somebody, was able to think up something like the iPhone, but it's 500 AD. Like Someone you're, gives you're... you a stock tip, but the stock market doesn't <laughs> exist. Well, this would make me rich. Right, exactly. If, it ex- <laughs> if there was a way to do anything with this information. Exactly. That is like, I think that actually is a, like, a, I think you're right. It's like, if you peel back what the idea is yes, behind yes. that character, like the idea of being handed a golden ticket, but not knowing what to do with it, you know, I mean, yeah, we're I not flip- having the ability to, to really right. make it happen. Now, now, I mean, based off of the technology we see in Victor Timely's lab, maybe he will eventually like, <laughs> he seems it. to be on the path. Towards. <laughs> yeah. All that little flickering sure seemed awfully right. temporal loomy. <laughs> right. But as we're introduced to him, it's like, Oh, he has this thing that like, doesn't necessarily work that well, but right. you can see it's going to become the temporal loom. You know, how, how this version of Victor Timely like plugs into everything, we've seen is remains remains to be seen. Um, but I like that core idea. And then maybe like the future, more successful version of you sent a book back in time so mm-hmm. that you could like kickstart your, you know, your time machinations. Like that's, that's, th- those are cool ideas that I like uh, that the show brings up. And again, uh, we should spend more time on, on those things instead of, we got to zip to the next like action scene or Sylvie and Loki fighting each other again, you know, like th- that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, great. Sylvie's here again. You know, Sylvie's awesome. I love the character. I love her, her and Loki interacting, but like, we didn't know that that was, it's again, another thing where it's like, surprise, Sylvie's here, you know, a, a fight scene. <laughs> it's like, it's like use the magic okay. powers as an excuse to like take the chess pieces and like, well, there's no real way to get them here, but like, right. thankfully, we have undefined magic but powers. Sylvie's magic. Sylvie, <laughs> Sylvie can. It's like we need another action scene. Oh, oh, who who should do it? Um, Sylvie. Well, how's she getting there? Uh, she just gets there. You know, like it's ah, the green stuff. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Don't worry whatever. about you it. Know, so it's like, yeah, okay. You know, it's 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 not it's not bad. It's not like an incompetently no. shot scene or anything like that. It's like perfectly solid, but it just um, as with the, the final sequence in the last episode, like no setup. You know, she just kind of comes in out of nowhere. She does play a significant role in the rest of the episode. Um, but I, I wish, you know, the, the stuff that the show brings up is what I'm, what I'm trying to say is it's genuinely interesting material. Um, anything else? Oh, I, I do also want to give a shout out to the fact that I think we saw a clip from this scene in one of the post credit scenes of Quantumania. Am I right about that? Correct. Yes. Um, like basically them arriving at um, 
the showcase for the temporal marvels. I think is. it was already going on, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, when that ha- when in the scene. So what I re- I, I appreciated. I'm just going to say, you know, I'm part of the problem, Patrick. I like, I was like, hey, that's the scene from the thing. Because, <laughs> because when you see that scene in Quantumania, like, so there's a scene of Mobius and Loki watching Victor Timely. Like, that's the post credit scene. Mm-hmm. And when you, when I first saw it, I was like, what is even going on? Like, at the end of Loki season one, Mobius and Loki don't even know each other. So, like, how is the show going to deal with that? Why are they in back in time? And why is there an 18th, well, that 19th century version of Kang there? Like, what's going on? And it's cool to just kind of have all those questions kind of answered, at least partially, mm-hmm. uh, with this episode of the show. So those are some, like, shout-outs, some some big-ups I want to give to this episode and, and this sequence in particular. Patrick Klepek, any thoughts about, you know, World's Fair Chicago 1893? Uh, well, it's always nice as someone that uh, I never I never – tell people that know Illinois geography or have any familiarity with Chicago that I'm from Chicago because I'm not. I'm from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Those are different things. But I'll tell someone that doesn't know anything about Chicago, like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm from Chicago because what am I going to say? Right. From the north, like the northwest. So, but it's always nice. Chicago never gets depicted in, it's not, it's in like gangster media. Like, yeah, that, like yeah, that's yeah. about it. It's rarely in video games. Like Chicago, despite having some really iconic skylines right. and architecture and looks um, is, is rarely seen in a lot of the stuff I watch. It's always New York and it's always LA or it's Vancouver or like being <laughs> New York or LA or something like that. And so it was, it's a small thing, but it's always nice for like the city that means the most to me. Cause it's the one I live in closest proximity to the one I, I spend the most uh, time in personally. Um, it may not be, modern day Chicago, but it is, it is cool yeah. to see a version of, of <laughs> Chicago say, here. It is hilarious that you're praising the show Chicago mm-hmm. depiction, which depends zero on modern day Chicago being I'm filmed in these, any way. These are called scraps, <laughs> David, and I'm taking them and I'm, and I'm putting them in my mouth and I'm, and I'm chewing on them. Um, I, it's, and- just, it's, it's a, what I will say is it's just amazing to see a show depict any part of America from the 19, from the 1800s. Yeah. Like that's just, it's just like, Hey, this takes a bunch of ambition and work like, you know, below the line work to get it done. And I thought they did a wonderful job. They seemed to build what appeared to be a functional Ferris wheel. You know, like, I don't think it was, yeah. but like, you no, know, but it, yeah, it, 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 it at least felt like it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and you know, it hits on the version of the show that doesn't exist. And we talked about like, what if this show was just sliders? And it's like, how cool would it be that like every episode opens and then walking out of a time portal and just like, what like fabulous costumes are they wearing this time to like blend into the scene they're in? And I, I now worry, I'm, I'm worried desperately that like that part of the show is more or less over and mm. we're about to spend a lot of time back at the TVA, probably back at right? the TVA yeah. with like sad, not yet Kang, uh, grappling with becoming. Kang, um, sad, and, not yet Kang. Uh, and the I'd worst kind see, of Kang, sad, not just, yet Kang. <laughs> the worst variant of them all. Um, <laughs> just emo Kang, just trying to listening to Fallout um, Boy and working through his feelings. But I, I just, it's a different type of show. It's one that's maybe less dour, but I, I just would have been so fun to see those two actors. Be like, ah, oh. you know, kind of like Back to the Future, right? Like, oh, yeah. we're off to the Wild West, and like, here's the getups that they're they're wearing. Like, how how much fun. Uh, would would that be um, just siding and even then like sep- 
not even involving Kang. They're just si- solving time travel crimes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, something's going on in this. We got a ping from this, you know, yeah, branch. Yeah. Like, time to go figure it out. Um, they should have really conceived this as a Law and Order procedural. Yes, I'm Yes, yeah, Law and Order TVA unit. Please, like that. That is really what I was looking for. There is a really cool shot in this episode of Loki where they walk through one portal in like earlier Chicago and then enter Mm -hmm. the world's fair in Chicago. That was an incredible shot. Like I just love, I love showing how the portals work and all that stuff. So big shout out to that. All right. uh, Back at Timely's home, he shows off some of his experiments and tries to understand why so many people are suddenly interested in him. Renslayer and Miss Minutes do their best to explain the concept of time travel variants and his eventual destiny. The group is uh, quickly interrupted by folks who were previously seeking Timely. And the three smuggle aboard a nearby boat in search of Timely's lab. On the boat, Timely reveals how the TVA manual changed his life and discovers Renslayer is the one who delivered it. The two seem to share a moment only for Timely to unexpectedly detach a lifeboat and join forces with Miss Minutes, leaving Renslayer behind. Okay. Here's where the the problems of the episode really started to seep in for me. Is like, what is Renslayer's motivation this episode? Right? Why is she doing what she's doing? It's first of all, uh, I'm gonna say that her motivations last season were not particularly well explained. She like went off in search of free will, and it's like, okay, well, that's sufficiently vague that you could explain that in any way. I sure hope the show clarifies what's going on there this season. David, my show uh, said my my T-shirt says <laughs> order and chaos. What don't what don't you understand about my personal philosophy? My my I am going to seek free will t- T-shirt is prompting a lot of questions that are already answered by the shirt. Uh, and so so uh, Renslayer is going off in search of free will, and like she's like disenchanted by the TVA or whatever the heck. And I was like, okay, that's not very well done plot line from last season, but like maybe we'll get better explanation this season. Okay. We don't yet. Uh, and I did appreciate that the show acknowledged that because Renslayer is like, okay, I got to get you back to the TVA. We got to get you to stop the temporal loom. I'm like, I'm watching this. I'm like, first of all, I didn't even know Renslayer gave a shit. Like even A, right. knew about the temporal loom problems. B, would give a shit. And then... Victor Timely then asks, I have never felt more simpatico with Victor Timely than at that moment because he says, well, isn't that what those other guys were doing? <laughs> like, he's like, he's like, isn't that what the green wizard, wanted? which was, like, which the, again. <laughs> yeah, a, a, amazing moment where he's like, yeah. And his Butler, you know, like the wizard <laughs> the butler, and his Butler, yeah. isn't that, isn't that, that what those good. guys are doing? And I'm like, yeah, Ravana, isn't that what they were doing? Like if they, if you guys have the same motivation, and he's like, why aren't you guys joining forces? And she's like, well, I don't trust them. And it's like, uh, uh, okay, I guess. That's not sufficient. Like, I, I, that feels, I that feels like the show really straining to produce a tension between characters that is like, really, it doesn't. Right. I mean, I mean maybe, maybe we're going to get some explanation later on for like why, R- R- like maybe Ravana, that's not even Ravana's mission. Maybe she's doing something else. Right. right. I hope so. Um, but the problem is this episode, it makes no sense. Like, it's just like, okay, I, I guess you don't trust them. Like it really, what, what would their ulterior motives be? Anyway. Okay. Even Mobius points that out. They have that like yeah. one brief scene while the fight's happening on yeah. the Ferris wheel. And he's like, like, what, what are we doing here? What are we, like, what, what? What are we doing here? And like, there's no, you know, like part, 
like like uh, villain monologues can you know take them or leave them like some are better than others but at least like it's a statement of philosophy <laughs> of like <laughs> um what you intend to do right. and here i i feel like i i worry that it's going to confirm your previous suspicions that so much of it is contingent like it's information in later episodes will backfill why things are occurring here in a way that makes things in the moment feel deeply unsatisfying. And I don't think necessarily will make those previous moments feel better. They might make more logical sense, but it doesn't necessarily make them feel better in, in the moment. And at ultimately, this point, what, yeah, at this point, what you just said is a best case scenario. Like that's, yeah. it, that's if we even get an explanation in the future episodes, right? I hope we do. Um, to be fair, later on, Owen Wilson does come in and say like, is this really what free will looks like? And it's like, I didn't understand what it was before and I don't understand what the concept is now, you know? So anyway, uh, speaking of motivations that are not very well set up. Well, one, one small thing before oh, you get, yeah. get to that. Um, I will say, I don't know, uh, you know, the regional background of the people uh, who wrote this episode of single writer, multiple writers, writers room, whatever the case may be. But there is a essentially throwaway line when Victor Timely is exiting out of his uh, laboratory and mentions that he has a, laboratory in wisconsin and then as he's shooting out says uh, something to the effect of like well it's lower taxes and (laughs) david i cannot uh emphasize to you how much discourse there is between wisconsin and illinois Mm -hmm. residents over the discrepancies on on taxing the two states could not have like illinois is a like blue state surrounded by deeply red states like wisconsin indiana Mm -hmm. and the tax thing is like it feels like it was written by somebody who lives in Illinois and it's like those fucking Wisconsinites like are always going on about like the taxes down here in Chicago and so it just it cracked me out because like that's such a region re, like a re, specific regional joke yeah. to make that I feel like it only could have made it all the way through writing and production because somebody was like no this is gonna make a lot of sense to people who are from the area like it's gonna land like it's gonna land and I'm here to tell you it did. <laughs> Boy, it did. <laughs> this is how you can make Patrick Klepek feel seen as a Chicagoite. <laughs> is A, depict any rendition of Chicago. It can literally mm-hmm. be a bunch of shacks from yep. 200 years ago. And just a sign that says Chi-Town. <laughs> and like, I got, I got and you, also, buddy. And also make somewhat accurate statements about Chicago's tax code as compared to Wisconsin's. That's what I'm, um, that's what I'm asking for. You know, that's, that's um, all, that, all Patrick wants. Look, as, um, uh, as, as a longtime white guy, uh, David, like I'm getting it in all sorts of other ways. And so I got to like go down <laughs> like the ladder, like what are like other fifth ways? Fifth order, fifth yeah, order representation. Like, I, right. I'm already seen in all the movies and TV shows. <laughs> so now I'm thinking about like regional tax issues and how mm-hmm. can I have that represented in the media that I consume so yeah i I appreciate you uh calling it out you're welcome at timely's lab he's anxious to head to the tva before miss minutes reveals her actual plan frustrated at eons at he who remains side but stuck in a cartoonish costume question mark yeah yeah she wants that's the best i can do describe she, (laughs) she wants a body not only that she wants to be his love interest Timely fumbles with a tempad and sends Miss Minutes away only to be interrupted by Renslayer. Moments later, Renslayer is interrupted by Loki and Mobius as Renslayer rants about order and chaos. Soon, this is interrupted by Sylvie, who spares Timely's life after he swears he is not he who remains and intends to help. 
Left alone with Renslayer, Sylvie nearly makes good on a long desire to kill her as well, but instead sends her to the end of time with the rotting remains of He Who Remains. As the episode closes, Miss Minutes claims to know a terrible secret about Renslayer's past. So that's what happens at the end of the episode. I don't think there's a post-credit sequence uh, from no. what I can recall. So, Okay, so uh, yeah, the question of what Miss Minutes is, you know... As you said, Patrick, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Rogue AI, I'm willing to forgive that. Oh, Rogue, oh, she's a cartoon that can actually occupy three-dimensional space? Whatevs. That's fine. Who cares? But then you, show, are making me think critically about what's actually going on here by, like, I want a human body. And it's like, what? Like, is she, like, she has motivations? What is even the origin of Miss Minutes? And, like, obviously she was someone who was created by He Who Remains, I think, is, mm-hmm. is the question. And, like became sentient over time but it feels like a major thing to introduce in like two minutes and then like uh, you know maybe it will be one of the long-running animating questions of the show uh but so far i find it to be a little bit confusing what do you think patrick no i'm with you and i i'm i grow concerned further with uh there are allusions to it in some lines of dialogue from renslayer uh, when Mobius and Loki interrupt uh, that are along the lines of like, I've been doing this like thanklessly for eons. And it mm-hmm. seems to be setting up. I don't think Renslayer is romantically interested in he who remains, although there are allusions yes. to that in the boat yes. scene. And boy, I don't know how I feel about setting up like a three-way romance, like scorned lovers plot line. Like, like that's, that wasn't on my bingo card not something I needed explored does not give potentially like, I, I, I don't know how Miss Minutes identifies, but like, like two like women who's like primary animating uh, motivation or like big motivation is they're pissed off at this dude who doesn't care about them enough. Like that's uh, like, I, I, I don't, that's like, <laughs> it gives you an ick. It gives you it's just, ick. it's just like, it's just super low hanging fruit and deeply yeah. uninteresting in a store in a a setting that can do anything and whose characters should have well for one i just don't need miss minutes to have a motivation i just really don't like <laughs> you're just, just be just be the he who like what she was saying in the beginning of the episode of like yeah he gave me like instructions like that makes sense seems like the kind of guy who left instructions behind for like how to do things in the timeline were i to die but no, like she's also got to be bitter and jealous and need a body. Like, and again, it's if you start outlining all the things that need to be resolved this season in a yes, as we discussed at the top of discussing this season, I think it was the top or, or episode two about how Marvel is uh, potentially embracing series and having the kind of television that could it's more of a guarantee that there'll be if it's if it's liked that there'll be arcs that are going over season one, two, three, as opposed to a one and done mini movie that's chopped up into six episodes. Um, I don't know if there's Loki season three. Like, I don't know where Marvel is and plotting this stuff out. And so I can only look at this as, oh, it's so nice that we did get a season two, but it's probably still broadly a limited series. And these changes in their production pipeline can't happen at the drop of a hat so i need to then on faith believe these are going to be resolved in the next three episodes and even though those episodes are an hour-ish long there is just no way to do satisfying justice 
to all of this. And that's putting aside my like basic problems with these as character motivations. And so it's just kind of a bummer place to be. Cause now Victor timely is essentially like, he also has like a really important arc that needs right. to resolve in the next three episodes. Like Sylvie has essentially been ignored. Like, the animating factor of the previous season. The reason there was a season two. Those characters have a, are, are increasingly seeming like they're going to be sidelined in favor of, well, I hope emo Kang, you know, feels okay by the, by the end of this. And that's just a, it's a frustrating place well, to be, even if we predicted that it was going to head in a direction like this. Uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's see, you know, let's see this. The show may still have a couple trip tricks up its sleeve. I do think that that scene in the where, where uh, Victor Timely is begging for his life is like one of the most. Uh, that was when the performance really worked for me, and also yeah. like the idea. The idea is really interesting, and we've seen this uh, many times before. Uh, Terminator Two, Miles Dyson. You know, he's like this guy who's uh, Sarah Connor is like you're gonna kill humanity. You're responsible for a billion deaths, and. He's like, that's not, that's not who I am. You know, like, and can people change who they are? Can people change their fate? You know? And in the case of Sylvie, it's like, Sylvie holds Victor Timely responsible for all the terrible things that have happened to her, right? Like her whole life was ripped from her. And, uh, and so he's like, yeah, that's not me. That's not, that's not, you know, the idea. Can you, can you overcome who you really are? Can we overcome fate? Those are interesting questions. Uh, and, I needed to think about those questions at the same time I was thinking, uh, does Miss Minutes just want to have a sexy body? You know, like, <laughs> is is that a thing that I need to be spending my time thinking about? Um, so, uh. so, yeah, there's there's good, interesting in time travel stuff in the show. Absolutely. And it's mixed in with a bunch of plotting about stuff that, like, I think we care less about, basically. Yeah, it's just overstuffed. It is, yeah. it is, it yeah. is overstuffed and... I, I think it's easy to imagine a minute, a, a lot of this being the result of how like Marvel has done television shows, right? Like I've not been in the writer's room for a television series, but I have to imagine part of that is imagining, okay, what do we want to accomplish this season? And then what could be, you know, we've talked about like pulling on the dangling threads for, for further seasons. If you have no guarantee of that, I can imagine as a writer, the temptation being like, well, let's, Get it all in here because if there's no guarantee of a season right. three of a season four, like there are like four or five seasons of plot threads, like in yeah. these in this season alone, and like they're all going to be given, they're all going to essentially function on can these what is broadly like an array of really incredible actors, can they sell us on a season's worth of de- of development? in like a couple of scenes because there's just not time yeah, to we, grant them all those moments. We've basically been speed running like a season's worth of plot in an episode uh, yeah. of, of each, each, each show. Uh, and like characters come in and like are introduced and then like, we don't see them for a whole episode. Uh, we have Raphael- could be the cliffhanger of Loki season two. You know what I mean? Where it's like, right. They spend all their time like dealing with like traveling, tracking these people down, dealing with like problems on branched uh, parts of the timeline. And then at the end, Oh shit, we finally stumbled into like he who remains and like, ah, like let's see where this goes in season three. And it's just, instead it's, yeah, you're right. You're getting an entire season's worth of plot in, in a single, single episode. I, I, I mean, I'm just so, 
I'm so curious at like what the vision was because you you have character. We had the Raphael Casal character. It had a whole arc last episode. Bye. We had bye. We we had billions of people being apparently exterminated last episode. We're never gonna like bye. Uh, we we didn't. Maybe we're gonna return to it next episode. So like I, I want to give the show credit for that, but um or or give the show that benefit of the doubt. But it's like um. It's odd to just drop these major things like Rafael Casal as uh, as Brad and and all these billions of people dying and then like just go on to a different thing next episode. Just we're just on to a different thing now. Again, maybe they'll come back to it, but so far it, it does feel like what you said. They had they put thirty five ideas on the whiteboard and they're like these are the things we could do uh, in Loki season two. And someone just came in and said Kevin Feige came in and was like we're, we're doing all of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're doing and them all. And it's, it's, you know, and any any show is just going to strain trying to accomplish all those things. It doesn't matter how good, you, how how clever the production design is. Doesn't matter how clever the quips are. Doesn't matter how talented the actors are. You just run out of room, and yeah. it feels like this is a show that is a constant. Like, funnily enough, for a show about like rapidly expanding branches that the, it can't like, and it might like struggle to, to contain that and explode. It feels like the show is often dealing with that as, as well. Yes. The, uh, it, the, the show's biggest problem is it, it can't be contained by the plot loom <laughs> of him. the show of the show itself. Nailed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway. All right. Well, we're not going to be on the writing staff for season three. Um, seems that's out the window. We are persona non grata. Uh, okay. Well, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at decodingtv. Find Patrick Klepik at crossplay.news. Check out his podcast, Remap Radio, wherever podcasts can be downloaded. Patrick, I am, uh, you know, the show is still really interesting to watch. Like, there's still cool stuff to look at each week, but. Man, it has been a really up and down first half of the season, and we're already halfway through the show. You know, like I'm curious. Like you, you said, there's no way it can tie everything up, and it's like, well, you know, maybe. You know, like it's possible. I'm, I'm hoping. Hope. My my expectations are I, like my disappointment comes from a place of having higher expectations right. and being frustrated by a show that I wanted to to match my feelings on right. the first. Um, I think like that is nowhere best expressed than um, like this first season was appointment viewing for, for, for me and my wife. And sometimes she's like, Oh, well, I guess we can watch that at the end of the weekend. Wow. Like, oh, damn. Low key. Mm, cold. That's bad. Like it's bad. We, is she we like not- when you, when, when she like goes to the bathroom and you're like, Oh, I'll pause it. And she's like, no, you don't have to. Like, There's a little bit of those vibes. I, I hate to say it. I hate brutal. to say it. And she like Tom Hiddleston is like, <laughs> top five crushes for her mm-hmm. and and so it does not usually want to miss a he's minute like a, but he's like a hall pass celebrity for her <laughs> and, and I, I, she yeah, yeah you joke you joke but i you know i think but i wasn't joking um but <laughs> he's nor not is a, she. nor is she <laughs> <laughs> but uh but she can't even be bothered to you know pause the thing while she's in the bathroom anyway so i i think we'll know patrick we'll know a lot more at the end of next episode i agree whether this thing's gonna finish the swing because Next episode is either going to be a completely brand new set of plots or it's going to start tying up some of the plots that have already been introduced. And if the latter, then I actually think there's some hope that this is going to mean something by the end. So we will see. 
Find out with us next week right here on Decoding TV. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>